0: She had four months' warning. It was his fault, not mine. It was all his fault. I dearly love the children. Those are the words Minnie McGee said in court when she was tried for the murder of her son Johnny. She blamed her husband Patrick, who abused her, saying he failed to protect the children. In fact, Minnie killed six of her children, but was only ever convicted of murdering one. Welcome to The Hidden Island, a podcast where we talk about local island history. I'm Fiona Steele, and I work with the PEI Museum and Heritage Foundation. It's spooky season, and if you're anything like me, you're into it. Crisp weather, warm sweaters, the leaves turning colour. What's not to love? Since Halloween is coming up, I thought we should do an episode to mark the occasion. Something spooky. Something sinister. And of course, something hidden in island history. I'm talking about Mary McGee, known as Minnie, who was born on the island in 1875 and lived near Georgetown. Before we begin, though, I need to issue a content warning. This episode will contain explicit details of infanticide, so the time to turn it off is now if true crime isn't your cup of tea.
1: Well, I think in many ways she was a very ordinary island woman. She lived in the rural countryside on St. Mary's Road. Uh, She had a husband who worked at the fish factory and also fished and uh, worked in the woods. So very typical in that way. She had uh, six living children uh, when she became famous. Um, So a large family.
0: That's Sharon Myers, a history professor at UPEI who studied and written about Minnie McGee.
1: A husband who was present but not always on site. She was Irish Catholic, sustained her family partly through her work, partly through her husband Patrick's work, and and in those ways was very normal. Spent, you know, good parts of her day in the farmyard, tending to chickens and, and all of those kinds of things that that might be thought of as quite normal for a woman who was raising a family in a rural location on BEI.
0: In many ways, Minnie was just another rural islander. Married young, had nine children, although one died early on. Things were normal, or I guess as normal as they can be when you're a mother of eight children with an abusive husband who works away from home. Anyways, life continues quietly for the McGee family until 1912. That winter, Minnie and Patrick lost two children after they became sick with pneumonia. Then early April rolls around. By this point, Minnie hadn't left her property in almost three years.
1: Five of her six children were living with her on St. Mary's Road. In the space of two days, they all became suddenly very, very ill.
0: Each child's head, chest, and stomach started hurting. They started vomiting. Their skin paled, pulses weakened, and their lips turned a shade of blue. They became too weak to walk. Patrick heard about the children becoming ill while he was away at work. He returned home, but by the time he got there, three of the children were already dead. The other two died that evening. Patrick stayed for the funerals on Sunday, then went back to work on Monday.
1: It wasn't clear at first what had happened. But the local doctors and the coroner expected it was some kind of poisoning. So at first they turned to what we might think of as environmental causes. So was, was there some kind of contaminated food? Was there a, a chemical that was used on the small farm?
0: The children who died were aged 5, 6, 8, 12, and 13. Newspaper headlines of the day reflected the shock Islanders must have felt.
2: Whole family almost wiped out by poisoning. Five children of Patrick McGee of St. Mary's Road are dead, and there is only one left. Death is supposed to have been caused from partaking freely of decayed herring. April 13th, 1912. Inquest over remains of children of Patrick McGee, whose tragic death occurred as a result of poisoning. Five are dead of eight children alive in January, but one survives. April fifteenth, 1912.
0: The last child left was a 10-year-old boy named Johnny. While the others got sick, Johnny was at his uncle's house working on his farm.
1: When the five children became ill and as they began to die, a 10-year-old named Johnny was at his uncle's up the road, and he was working for his uncle on the firm. He had come home as, as the family was going through the tragedy. He came home on a Saturday. The funeral was Sunday, and his uncle was expected to come and get him shortly after and take him back to that firm to continue working The uncle didn't arrive immediately. He left Johnny for a few days, alone with Minnie McGee.
0: When Minnie's brother came to take Johnny back to the farm, Johnny was already ill. He had the same symptoms the other children had before they died.
1: And then what had been a kind of sense of suspicion around the first five children became a very kind of focused climate of suspicion. It seemed now that that if Johnny was also ill and dying but his mother Minnie was fine, those environmental issues seemed to be be less important.
0: Island history hadn't seen this before.
2: Another sensation in McGee Mystery. The only remaining child, Johnny, is now ill, having the same symptoms as the other five.
0: Government officials ordered that Johnny be taken to a safe place. But it was too late. Johnny died at his grandparents' soon after.
2: Arrest of Mrs. McGee yesterday. Was taken charge by Constables McCarran and McKearney. April 27, 1912.
0: Minnie was taken to trial, but only charged with the murder of Johnny.
1: By and large what emerges from the trial is a sense that very few people had thought if any had thought of Minnie as dangerous or threatening or likely to do something like this but that there was something that wasn't quite right in in the minds of many about uh, about Minnie's behavior for example at the time she's arrested she hadn't left her own home in three years. So while in many ways ordinary, you know, taking care of the kids and, and taking care of the firm and so on, there are these small glimpses of how, how there might be some indication that something's, something's not quite right. So yes, in the trial testimony, it's extensive, it's detailed, Patrick, her husband, essentially washes his hands of of the matter. The father indicates that she had been uh, fractious and difficult to get along with after she had fallen off a cart and hit her head. And yet still nothing that says, oh, we knew this was coming or there was a, a tremendous source of concern.
0: Minnie spoke during the trial and signed two confessions detailing the murder of her children. Take mercy on me. I've had a hard life. In January, my head went all astray, and worse in February, and worse in April. Pain in my head right through, away in there. This last four months, pain was dreadful. I was going to do away with my own life. I cannot do away with the pain I have in my head. Minnie had her children buy matches from the local store and bring them home. She soaked the matches in weak tea and sugar to sweeten them then she gave them to her children to suck on.
2: I, I think I gave the solution only once, but
0: I'm not sure. At that time, matches were made with white phosphorus, which is a pretty toxic substance. It was terrible for your health. Factory workers who made the matches often developed what was known as Fossy Jaw. It's pretty gruesome if you look up photos, but basically the vapor would destroy the jaw bones of anyone who was around it too
1: much. At the end of the trial, the jury's asked to decide whether she's innocent, guilty, or guilty by reason of insanity. And the jury comes back and says she's guilty, but there's a recommendation to Mercy. So at this time, this was a capital crime. She would have been hung, theoretically, at least uh, under the terms of, of the criminal code. So they find her guilty, knowing that a capital punishment sentence could be delivered, but recommend mercy, which would then convert to life in prison.
0: Here's an interesting part. The community actually created a petition that argued against the death penalty, saying Minnie was insane. It was signed by local ministers and priests, doctors, relatives, neighbors, and community members. They didn't want to see Minnie McGee hanged, despite killing six of her children.
1: But I think the kind of alignment with mercy had to do with people thinking that there, again, there must be something wrong because ordinarily a mother doesn't kill her children. So in in a way, the community needs to, in its own mind, make this an extraordinary event, right? Right. Because alternatively, it means that mothers kill their children. So, so by making this extraordinary and different and unusual and strange, again, that notion, putting in place that notion, something must be wrong. It removes the community from having to think about well, in what circumstances? What's the relationship between a mother and her children? If it's not this kind of natural knitting together between mother and children, then that throws up for reconsideration a whole lot of things about about things like gender roles and the way we believe what or believed what was natural and and right for for women to do. So in many ways, even though Minnie's crimes were incredibly destabilizing. By saying this is extraordinary and needs special consideration, the community's saying that uh, there is something wrong that happened here, and it's, it's wrong with her. She's the exception. She, there's something wrong with her.
0: Minnie was sent to Dorchester Penitentiary in New Brunswick, although she didn't last long there. Records say that within four months, she became violently insane, to use their wording. So she was sent to Falconwood Hospital in PEI which at the time was known as the Assane Asylum. She lived there for 14 years. But our story doesn't end yet. Let's go to 14 years later when Falconwood becomes extremely overcrowded. It's way over capacity. People are sleeping in dining rooms, the attic, even dorm rooms built for two people could be home to six.
1: The director of Falkenwood is asking for more funds from the government and also potentially the addition of another wing to relieve some of the congestion. The response of the government is the problem isn't space, it's the people in it. So get rid of some of the people in it. So the order is to reduce the number of people who are being held in care. So the director of the day lets a whole bunch of people go from Falconwood, and among those is Minnie McGee. She's released into the community on her own dime, and and needs to find a way to uh, provide for herself. So she takes a job as a, a cook, which is somewhat ironic given that she poisoned her children. But she gets a job as a cook at the at Prince Edward Island Home, and she's there for almost two months before someone figures out who she is. She's working under an alias, so she, you know, she had her wits about her enough to know that it might be better to her advantage not to tell people who she was. But someone figures it out, and uh, it's reported to the board of Falconwood, who are very upset and take it to the premier and he directs that she needs to be taken back into custody. The argument from the director of Helcomwood is that she's sane. That's why he let her go. So she is taken back to, by this point, Dorchester's women's wing in the prison has closed, so she's taken all the way to Kingston. She's not there very long before uh, the resident psychiatrist's say she is insane and has been for a very very long time and that's the first point though at which we get a, a kind of medical diagnosis in the records it's you know probably exists before them but at that point they're saying that she she's suffering what today we would call a kind of manic depression because she's now deemed insane again she's taken back to falconwood and she will spend her, the rest of her life in Falconwood until, until she dies. But what, what happens after her return to Falconwood is that she has periods of time when she's actually in very good health and seems perfectly capable and fine. So she's released to go visit with family members, sometimes for a weekend uh, sometimes for uh, several months at a time
0: yeah you heard right a convicted murderer was let out on weekend trips but listen to this
1: so there's various suggestions that she's on these voyages out into the community that she's out picking flowers with with children i did a talk a number of years ago up at orwell and uh, a member of her family who remembered her was there and remembers, you know, walking on through the fields with her, collecting wildflowers and so on. So, and in Dutch. Uh, Thompson's wonderful recordings, He's, he was able to collect some testimony from people who had worked at Falconwood and who re- remembered her and remember her as being funny and jolly and easy to get along with and, and someone that they weren't afraid of. So so many different different sides to her. And part of what makes her even more exceptional was the volume of, of children that died. It's not at all unusual to, to find cases of infanticide. It's not at all unusual to find those in the PEI historical record. They're, they're there. What's especially unique about Minnie is the death of six children. And perhaps more, though we'll, we will never know, but the two children who died very early in the winter, at her uh, testimony before trial, Minnie said about her husband, it was all his fault, he had four months warning. And that would date back to the death of the first toddler and infant that we don't count as part of this sequence around the poisoning. So what we do know is that, as far as we know the the historical record, Minnie appears to have been the most prolific female uh, murderer in Canadian history.
0: Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone involved. Sharon Myers, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge. To Meg Preston and Matthew McCrae, thanks for your voice acting on Minnie McGee and the newspaper headlines. Finally, thanks to our sponsors Nimrods and Upstreet Brewing. Happy Halloween!